Excuse me. So today, again, as we've been saying all morning, it is so great to be here with each of you. It's great for those of you who join us around the world at Greenbelt Online as well. And um, as I kick off kind of my message today this morning, I, I just a show of hands. I, I, I'm trying to find my people this morning. Um, how many of you love to give advice? Yeah, amen, right? There's, there's my, and those of you, you're sitting beside someone who loves to give advice. And they're not lifting up their hand right now. You know, like, dude, like, you give advice all the time. You see, I have great advice for you. I do. I, I've come, I'm 51 years old. I've been around the block now. I've got this parenting thing perfectly solved. I do. Parents, you want advice how to handle your kids? I can tell you exactly what to do. Okay, I can tell you exactly what you should do with um, your money and how you could invest it. I got some great advice for you on how you should be eating healthier. I've got great advice for you on what exercise program you should be doing during the week. Kids, I've got great advice for you on how you should clean your room. And how you should listen to your parents all the time. I got great advice on how you should do your homework for six hours every single day. Like, I am, I've just got great advice. But here's the challenge. I'm going to kind of confess this. And I think those of us who raised our hands, people who love to give advice, um, we, we don't necessarily like to admit this publicly. But most of us who love to give advice don't keep our own advice. You see, I know what, you know, like, I, I read the newspapers, and I, and I look at stock markets, and I look at things, and I go, man, I should invest some money over here. This would be a really smart way to put some money in there. I could make some money back, and I could save up for retirement. But no, I don't do that. Instead, I buy another $200 board game to sit on a shelf that I'm never going to play, because no one will play these geek games with me. <laughs> Pastor Kevin's really a nerd. Holy smokes. Right? Or I know I should be eating healthier. I'm 51 years old. My stomach does weird things with food now. Okay? And I still eat the spiciest of food possible. It's like, oh, yeah, the spicier the better. And then I'm like in a fetal position crying to myself at sleep at night because my stomach is so sore. Or I know I should exercise. And it's like, no, I'd rather just look at my phone and just swipe through Facebook for three and a half hours from 6 a.m. to 9 o'clock in the morning. Right? See, you and I, (laughs) we're pretty bad at following our own advice. And I think that's the challenge of the church. Is because for a long time, the church has taken on the role of being advice givers. That we just want to go out into the world and we want to tell everybody else how they should live their lives. This is how you should handle your money. This is how you should handle your time. This is what you should do with sexuality and gender. This is what you should do with politics. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. But we don't even keep our own advice. See, and that is the message I want us to look at today. Because the Christian faith is not about giving advice. The Christian faith, the purpose of the church is not to give people advice. The purpose of the church is to give people good news. And there's a big difference 
between good advice and good news. So let me just read from Matthew's gospel here. This is the very famous passage that we read pretty much every year at this time. Every Easter, this passage gets read again and again and again in churches all over the world. And it's so easy to turn this into a passage about good advice. But it's not about good advice. It's about good news. So I'm going to read here Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start in verse 1. So it says, after the Sabbath, at at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So this is the tomb where Jesus was placed after his resurrection. He was put there on Friday, three days earlier. It says, there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. You know, there's so many passages in the Bible that I'd love to see. Would have loved to see how this play out. And I kind of have this picture of this tomb with this big giant stone and this angel just kind of sitting there, swaying his feet back and forth on this stone, just chilling out, playing his harp. You know, it's just one of these weird things. It's like, what would that have looked like to actually see this? Right. And then in verse three, it continues. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. And then the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. And so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and they clasped his feet and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And then I want to jump down here into verse 16. And this is how uh, Matthew finishes off his gospel to encourage the church about the resurrected Jesus. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So they're following Jesus's advice. He said, go to Galilee. They're going to Galilee. So they went to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And when Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. You see, it's it's this story here um, that changes everything. It's this story that takes religion from being simply good advice to being good news. You see, without this story in Matthew chapter 28, your entire Bible is good advice. It's good advice. It's got good advice on how we should live our lives. It's got good advice on how we should treat other people. It's got good advice on how we should raise our families. It's got good advice on how you should do business. There's a lot of really good advice. But if this part here isn't true, 
then it's not any different than any other good advice that we could get from anywhere else or from anybody else. Why is the Christian faith radically different than any other religion on the entire planet? It's because it's not about good advice. It's about good news. You see, here in this passage, Jesus isn't telling people to follow my advice. Jesus is telling people to follow me. He's not saying follow my advice. He says to us to follow me. And that's why the big idea that I, you know, if you only remember one thing I've said today, this is what I want you to remember. It's this one big idea is that the message of Jesus isn't about good advice. It's about Jesus. The message of Jesus isn't about good advice. It's about Jesus. You see, Jesus never called his disciples to trust in his ideas. He called his disciples to trust in me. Not me, Jesus, <laughs> to trust in Jesus, right? Jesus didn't say simply to take bread and wine as some religious tradition on a Sunday morning, you know, because when you do that tradition, somehow you're going to be better off. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, right? It wasn't Jesus's advice that got him in trouble with religious leaders of his day, you don't get arrested and executed for telling people to love your neighbor. You don't get arrested and executed and nailed to a cross to tell, because you were telling people to love God. In Jesus' day, you get arrested and executed and nailed to a cross when you declare yourself to be God. It was blasphemous in his day, blasphemy, declaring himself to be God. That's why they had him killed. Yes, they marveled at his teaching. They marveled at his authority. They marveled at his miracles. But as soon as he declared himself to be the I am, to declared himself to be God's son, game over. <laughs> because he didn't say, follow my advice. He said, follow me. <laughs> But that's why year after year after year after year, for 2,000 years now, that's why we gather as the church. We don't gather around Jesus' advice. We gather and we celebrate and we worship around the resurrected Jesus. We don't celebrate his teaching. We celebrate him. We celebrate him. Jesus. It's not simply about good advice. It's all about Jesus. See, and we see this again and again and again all throughout our New Testament. Jesus speaking this way, right? There, Jesus had a friend named Lazarus who got sick and his sisters were hoping that Jesus was going to come and heal him. But Jesus didn't. And Jesus's friend Lazarus died and all of his family and friends, they were all mourning him. And so then finally Jesus went to Lazarus's tomb and the sisters were like, yeah, you know, I, I believe in who you are. Right? And Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Right? To his apostles, John, uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 9. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
That statement right there blows my mind. <laughs> and we live in a culture, in a world today where, and I talk to people all the time, family members, friends, people who don't believe in God, who have spiritual questions. And again, like I said earlier, that's why I believe the church should be the safest place in the world to ask any questions that we have. Because people are desperate to find God. Who is God? How can I know him? He seems so distant and so big. And Jesus says, real simply, if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you want to get to know who God is, just look at Jesus. And you can learn everything there is to know about God by his own words. Again, not just about his advice, but about who he is. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father through me. Again, I love having a coffee with my non-Christian friends to say, well, Kev, it's so great that you believe this, but I believe there's a million other ways to God. And I said, cool, you can have that opinion, but you should actually pity me if that's true. You should feel bad for me that I've actually changed my entire life around this person of Jesus. You see, I actually grew up as someone who didn't believe in God. I actually grew up, again, in a very strict kind of French-Canadian religious background where all of us, I don't know a single one of my friends who grew up in that school environment who believe in God today. Because we all walked away from it. Because it was all about rules, it was all about your behavior, it was all about advice. Keep the advice. And we all turned around and said, yeah, nah, we'll find our own advice, thank you very much. We'll make up our own opinion, thank you very much. And then I kind of went off to school, I went off to college, my background is math and science, I have a degree in pure and applied sciences, I was a math guy, I love math. Kids, math is awesome. Okay, yeah, preach. Okay, math, yeah, something. Oh, it's so good. You'll love it one day. Trust me, buddy. Okay, math is amazing because it makes sense. It's always right. Two plus two is always four. I don't care what the world tries to tell you right now with this weird math now. Okay, it's always four. Two plus two is always, math is always right. Right, and I loved that background. And then I went into computer science after that first degree. And in my computer science degree, it's, you can always find the problem. There's always a solution to every problem. Every problem has a solution with your computer. It was a great way to live. And then I bought a Bible. Not because I was a follower of God. I bought a Bible because I learned about Jesus. And I heard someone tell me that Jesus is the only way to God. And I didn't believe that. So I bought a Bible for myself, and I read it cover to cover to disprove this as a math guy, as a science guy. And as a math guy and as a science guy, and as I studied this and studied this and studied this, I was like, oh, my goodness, two plus two always equals four. That I've got this problem called sin. (laughs) And that there is this God who created all things. And he is so loving and so merciful and so caring and yet so just and has to deal with sin that I needed to figure out what am I going to do with this statement that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is not good advice. This is about Jesus. 
right? Jesus didn't come to simply leave the church with good advice and for us to just go out into the world and dictate how people should live. Jesus gave the message to the church that we are called to bring people to life, to let them know that there's a God who loves them, that there is a God who loves you so much that he would go to a cross and die for your sin because Sin had to be paid for, and the beauty of God's incredible love is we don't pay for it. He does. And then God himself, the Holy Spirit, when we do what Jesus says here, when we turn from our sin, when we repent from sin and believe that Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes in us, and you, you, yes you, become the temple of the living God. And you, yes, you bring the full glory of God with you everywhere that you go. You don't need to go to a building to come into the glory of God. You don't need to go to a temple to go into the glory of God. You bring the glory of God everywhere with you. And that's why this message on Easter and this message, why we preach it every single Sunday, is because it's all about Jesus. It's all about what Jesus does. Right? And again, if Jesus' purpose was just to give good advice, we actually see in the Bible that Jesus' own followers don't keep his advice. Right? This is one of the things, again, I love about studying the Bible. Right? Again, compared to studying other religions, if when you take the time, and I did this when I was in seminary, when you study other world religions, there's always a hero in that story. There's always some human who got some kind of enlightenment and this human is like the best of the best of the best and this person becomes the example to follow because this person knows something. This person is the best. So you need to take that person's advice so you can become like them. Every world religion is structured that way when you study it. But in the Gospels, in the four accounts of Jesus' life, what did his followers do? What do we see in Matthew, in John, in Luke, and in Mark? What we actually see is his followers taking off. We actually see his followers abandoning him. See, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, they took off. They're like, I'm out. I'm done. Like, I didn't sign up for this. See, I signed up for what we see on Palm Sunday, where Jesus is rising in on a donkey, and everyone thinks that Jesus is going to be made the king of Jerusalem. And it's like, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to follow that, because I'm going to be, you know, number one and number two in Jesus' new government. Yeah, that sounds great. But then suddenly when he's arrested and crucified and put into a tomb, buh bye See, if it was only about advice, it would have died there. It would have completely died there. But it wasn't about advice. You see, the followers of Jesus didn't re-engage with the message of Jesus because of something Jesus taught them to do. The followers of Jesus re-engaged with the message of Jesus because they saw Jesus. <laughs> Because they saw the resurrected Jesus. That, again, what we read here in Matthew chapter 28, changes everything of moving from simply being about good advice 
to being about good news. That sin has been dealt with. And because they have seen the resurrected Jesus, then suddenly they become empowered. They, get, they gather together. They try to figure out, okay, what does God want to do here now? Jesus told us to wait for this, up in this room for him to show up again. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them and they receive this power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the same power that comes into every single person who turns from their sin and turns back to God. And then these men, these women who were scared, who were in hiding, who were afraid that they were going to be arrested and persecuted too, suddenly they go out into the streets and they proclaim not advice, but they proclaim good news. You see, Peter preaches his very first sermon and 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, right? uh, Peter says these words, he says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. And when people hear this message about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, people are like, oh my goodness, what do we need to do? (laughs) Again, we want advice, (laughs) When we know we have sin, when we know that there's this holy God and we want to be right with God, just tell me what I should do. And Peter does not say, well, go back home and study your Bible. And there's 613 laws and commandments. So when you have those perfect and you have that all together, then you come back and see me. And then we have a special badge that you can wear because now you're a part of the club. He doesn't say that. Peter says, repent. And what does that mean? It means turn. You see, the sin that pulls at my heart to want to live my life my own way, because I have a lot of great advice, and I have a lot of really good opinions, and some of them in my 50 years of life have gotten me into a little bit of trouble that I've had to dig myself out of. Repent is turning from those things and turning my heart to God and saying, Father, forgive me. A sinner. And then Peter says, and be baptized. What is baptism? It's just a public declaration of what you have done in your heart. It's a public way to express what you have done privately. And then Peter says, do this, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin. And that's why Easter is such a big deal. That's why Easter is such a party. That's why Easter is such a celebration, because we as the church are not going into the world to tell you how to live. We're going out into the world to tell you about Jesus, that he loves you, and that he died for you, and that he wants to send the Holy Spirit to indwell you and give you the power that you need to deal with the messiness of this life, right? So that you can live a life with confidence, that you can know that your prayers are actually heard from God or heard by God and your prayers matter. That you can actually know that your faithfulness to the ways of God in this world matter. That the way you live your life by being generous of blessing people all around you matters and is worthwhile. Right? So if you're a Christian, that's the hope we have. The hope we have is not about trying to keep all this advice. The hope that we have is that God loves you, he died for you, and he empowers you. Trust that more. Lean into that more. 
And if you're here today and you say, I, I, I'm not a Christian, or if you're watching, a, watching us at Greenbelt Online and you're, you know, someone bra- dragged you here or you saw a Google ad that brought you here, you can have the same hope and assurance, too, that I'm not up here telling you how to live your life. Honestly, as a pastor, uh, I, this is going to sound so cruel. I don't care how you live your life. Okay, your life is your life. It, it, it is. My biggest care for you is the care for your soul. That you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that your soul is good. And that you will know God for all eternity. And you can know that by just simply praying, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Come into my life. Make me new. I prayed that prayer 20 odd years ago on my commute when I was working as a computer consultant downtown Montreal, reading this Bible to disprove the existence of God. And on that train, Kevin Presso died. And a new creation walked off of that train. And I went home to my fiance Danielle, who was not a Christian at the time, said, baby, guess what I just did? She's like, what did you do, honey? I gave my life to Jesus. Yeah, that went really well. (laughs) That's a sermon for another time. But that's the journey that God brings us on. Because it's not about behavior modification. It's not about going out and telling the world what they should do and how to live. But it's to tell people about Jesus. And then the other stuff, we'll trust that God's going to work through it as we deal with this together in love and in compassion and in mercy and in grace. And so let's celebrate today. Not out of tradition, but out of the party that Jesus is alive. That Jesus didn't come to ruin our fun He didn't come to take away all joy from from life. He actually came to give us life to the full. This is why the church is a celebration. This is why the church is a party. Because our sin is dealt with. So let's pray. Father God, I praise you that you are, Lord Jesus, the author of life. And that you came to deal with our sin, that you came, Lord Jesus, to make a path back to God the Father for sinful humanity. And Father, forgive me for the times when I've tried to live my life as a Christian leader, so bent out of shape on how people live their lives. Because ultimately, that's not the goal. Because I could try to give great advice that makes people live a certain way. But at the end of the day, they won't know who God is. And I'd much rather that people know who God is than live the way I want people to live. (laughs) And that I can trust you, God, that you're going to work in our church family, that you're going to work in our messy world, that you're going to work in ways that we could never ask or imagine through your power at work in your church. So, Father, today we worship the resurrected Jesus. We worship you, Father, for your great and marvelous plan that you've brought to humanity. We worship you, Holy Spirit, for your presence among us. So as we sing, 
Holy Spirit, fill this place and build us up and encourage us as we celebrate and pardon the resurrected Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.